We've come to the last of our short history podcasts on the life of the Reverend Alexander Payton, the prophet of the Covenanters. If you have enjoyed listening to this summary of Payton's life, then keep an eye out for more church history on the Semper Reformata podcast. In future episodes, I'll be looking at other heroes of church history, not in depth, not with academic analysis, but just enough to introduce ordinary Christians to our forefathers in the faith, and to perhaps inspire you to delve a little bit deeper yourself. You can help make the podcast more visible too. If you listen on one of the popular podcast apps like Apple or Google, please give the podcast a five-star rating. That really improves its visibility on your platform and introduces it to new listeners. I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata Podcast. So let's get on with this final look at the life of Sandy Payton. The minister has been living in Ulster, away up in the county Antrim Hills, and many's a tale is told of his exploits and those strange premonitions that he had. But all the time he longed to return to Scotland, where his heart truly lay, among his native people. And following the death of King Charles II in 1685, Payton privately arranged for a ship to come to a secluded cove on the Antrim coast to ferry him back to that troubled land. The ship was becalmed near the Antrim coast and was in great danger of being noticed by the infantry. Payton prayed for wind, and even as he prayed, the sails began to fill and the ship began to move. And soon back in Scotland he went into hiding among the hills of Ayrshire where accounts of his close encounters with the authorities are legion. It is known that he used a number of disguises to fill the troopers, wore a wig and a mask, and those are still in existence. Much of Peyton's time was spent hiding in a cave on the side of the Luger Water, near the so-called Ten Shilling Farm, land that was owned by the Affleck Estate and land that was farmed by Peden's brother as a tenant farmer. It is known that this brother brought food to the cave, and that other covenanters hid with Peden at various times. During a visit to Ers Moss, Peden prophesied to friends that killing times would soon come, but that he would not see them, and that Scotland would be desolate, but that after God had intervened, there would be a bonny burn time for the church. He gave them a sign. That is, that if he were buried just once, they should be in doubt. But if he were buried twice, then they would be persuaded that all that he said would come to pass. Peyton loved Erasmus. He visited there frequently. His expressed desire was that after his death he would be buried there, along with Richard Cameron. But this was never to be. 
and Peyton knew it. In his final days, Peyton sent for the Reverend James Rennick, a man he had never met before, but whom he had publicly disowned. Rennick and the newly organised Covenanter societies were deeply opposed to those who had accepted the indulgence. They saw them as apostates and traitors. Peyton, on the other hand, along with others, would not accept the indulgence himself. But neither would he condemn outright those who had. That difference had caused dissent between Peyton and Rennick. But in the cave where he lived, nearing the end of his life, Peyton asked Rennick for details of his conversion and his call to ministry. And when he was satisfied that Rennick was sound in testimony and sound in doctrine, he gave him his blessing. Peyton predicted his own imminent death to his brother's wife and died within 48 hours of that conversation. He was buried in the family plot in the local churchyard, but was some six weeks later exhumed from the grave by a group of troopers and removed to Cumnock, where his corpse was to be hung upon the gallows. The result of hatred of Peyton and the troopers' own anger at their failure to arrest him and have him executed was objected to by the Earl of Dumfries, who argued that the gallows was for the hanging of malefactors, not for the public display of the bodies of men such as Peyton. The authorities removed his body from the gallows and buried it at the foot of the gibbet, where his remains lie to this day, marked by two old gravestones and a more recent memorial. If you're visiting Glasgow or Ayrshire, be sure to stop at Cumnock and visit Peden's grave and read the memorial and be sure to be thankful for those men who maintained the cause of Christ's crime and covenant. But what are we to make of Peden's strange gifts? A lot has been said about Peden's prophetic prowess. I read an article once by a Pentecostal minister writing in a denominational magazine who claimed that Peden was an example of how apostolic gifts had continued in the church well past the age of the apostles. But Peden was no charismatic. Peyton would have found the beliefs and practices of that movement just as distasteful as he found the beliefs and practices of the Quakers. Peyton was first and foremost a Presbyterian, who had at ordination subscribed to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and whose strong Presbyterian beliefs led him to turn his back on offered comfort, to live out his faith among the hills of Ayrshire. Not for Peyton, the ecumenism and the roamward drift of the modern charismatic movement, and the distaste for doctrine and preaching found within that movement would have appalled him. His concept of the worship of God, 
in simple praise and preaching with unaccompanied psalmody contrasts sharply with the chaotic, unwarranted worship and the charismatic emotionalism of today. To be compared with such would have shocked Peden. In fact, to list Peden as an example of a pre-20th century Pentecostal is illogical. Most of those who hold to the Pentecostal doctrine believe that only those who practice what they call speaking with other tongues are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if so, Peden is automatically excluded. Others have claimed that Peden was somehow supernatural. I remember one old man in the town of Greenock told me that it was common knowledge that Peden was actually able to disappear. He illustrated this with a story. A man sat on a milestone, and as he sat, another joined him. Sitting back to back on the same stone, the two conversed of spiritual things. When the man asked his companion for his name, he turned and found him gone. And he knew then that he'd been speaking to Peden. Now that kind of legend illustrates well the way in which Peden has been turned into some kind of a folk hero. And perhaps some of the stories about him are plainly the fabrication of generations of admiration of the man and his abilities. The legend about him being able to disappear is obviously a derivation of the actual facts regarding his uncanny ability to avoid capture. And that was largely due to the providence of God and a false face. Yet Peyton did seem to have the ability to judge well the outcome of situations. He had an uncanny perceptiveness, for he could accurately gauge the results of given courses of action. And more than this, for Peyton seemed to know what was happening at places that were miles away from the location where he was. It was either an acute awareness of the certain consequences of history, or it was a God-given gift indeed. If Peden was a prophet, then he was a prophet in the Old Testament mode. He was a spirit-filled man who was so much aware of the will of God that he knew just what God's purpose would be in any human situation. Perhaps it would be right to say that Peden, along with the other Covenanter leaders, was an individual raised up by God at the time of Scotland's spiritual crisis for the accomplishment of God's divine purpose. A man for such a time as this. One thing's for sure, there are few, if any, of Peden's up today. Reverend Sandy Peden was an enigma. Peden was a man of stern Presbyterian principles who had a heart that was aching about the spiritual plight of Scotland and its people. 
Eden intimately knew the will of God concerning them, and he saw its outworkings in everyday occurrences. Peden's testimony might have concurred with that of Paul, who said concerning his own people, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. <laughs>